0: This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Monday, March 18th, 2013. I'm Caleb Brown. Our scholarship tax credit programs welfare for the wealthy? Jason Bedrick is a visiting policy analyst at the Cato Institute. He argues that scholarship tax credits overwhelmingly help children from low income families. As for scholarship donors, he says at best they break even.
1: There are 14 scholarship tax credit programs around the country. Uh, which grant tax credits to either corporations or individuals or both for donations to nonprofit scholarship organizations. And these scholarship organizations fund generally low-income students and some middle-income students to attend non-public schools. A couple weeks ago, Valerie Strauss at the Washington Post argued that these programs constituted welfare for the wealthy because uh, two reasons. One, that the donors are somehow benefiting by receiving a tax credit, and secondly, that uh, the students themselves are are wealthy because she argued that the scholarships don't cover the full cost of tuition. Uh, she said, poor families can't make up the difference, only wealthy families can. Uh, but in fact, the reality is exactly the opposite on both those points. Uh, there are only three states where the tax credits are 100%, and in that case, the donor is no better or no worse off than they would have been had they simply paid their taxes. Uh, They merely break even. Uh, In a follow-up post, uh, Professor Kevin Wellner from the University of Colorado argued that they do profit because they can deduct it from their taxes, Uh, but they could also deduct their state taxes. So really, in those three states, at most, the donors break even. But in the other uh, 11 programs around the country where the tax credits vary from 50% to 90%, the donor would be financially better off if they had simply paid their taxes than participated in the program. Uh, so that claim is just absolutely false. And as for the recipients, uh, first of all, there are 14 programs in the country. All, of, all but two of them are means-tested programs. So it would be impossible for a wealthy family to benefit in those cases. Uh, now, Valerie Strauss noted that uh, in Pennsylvania, for example, uh, the income cap is seventy-two thousand dollars a year uh, for a family of four. Now, that's first of all, that's not wealthy, and second of all, the average family earns only twenty-nine thousand dollars per year.
0: The average family benefiting from the tax. Credit. The average family
1: benefiting from the tax credit only earns twenty-nine thousand dollars per year. Now, while there's no data on who's benefiting in Georgia, although they uh, there is a bill that's going through the legislature right now, which would. Uh, add transparency that I think is is needed in that program. There was an independent study conducted on uh, one of the two programs in Arizona. Arizona has one program that is means-tested and one that's not. And of the students participating in the second program, two-thirds would have qualified for the means-tested program where the income threshold is 185% of the federal poverty line, which happens to be the same threshold for the free and reduced lunch program.
0: So what's the difference between Scholarship tax credits and vouchers
1: there are a number of differences There are some people that try to confuse the issue Uh, for example professor Wellner likes to call them neo-vouchers I think that's essentially a meaningless term Uh, With with a voucher program. It's a centrally administered program uh, Where the government makes all the decisions they decide who's eligible uh, they? um, Operate the program in a fairly uniform manner whereas and they're using of course public money by contrast, scholarship tax credit programs use private money. Uh, the U.S. Supreme Court a few years ago and uh, the only state courts uh, to address them at the issue have ruled that whether or not uh, an individual's contribution uh, it qualifies for a tax deduction or for a tax credit, it doesn't become public money until it has reached the tax collector's hand. So these are programs that use private money, private donations, uh, and they're not administered by the government. They're they're administered by a number of nonprofit scholarship organizations. There's one in Florida, and most states have, uh, with a program like this, have a dozen or so, uh, all the way up to Pennsylvania, which has 250 different scholarship organizations around the state. Uh, Some of them uh, are needs-based. Most of them are, in fact. Uh, Some of them only fund, let's say, Christian schools or Jewish schools or Muslim schools. And then there are some that focus on special needs students or certain types of education, like Montessori. Uh, so the, the programs, in terms of their constitutionality, in terms of their funding mechanism, and in terms of their administration, are actually quite different, even though the effect of the
0: programs is essentially the same. It's hard to feel any kind of sympathy, of course, for wealthy families who benefit from these kinds of programs, because wealthy families always have uh, more choices than people uh, without a great deal of wealth. But how does a program like this get us to or move us down the road toward a truly free market in education.
1: Well, that's exactly right. You know, wealthy families already have school choice. They can choose to live in a district that has a high-performing public school, uh, or they can choose to send their children to a private school uh, so they can afford it. Uh, so while I'd like to move in uh, – I'd like to move in a direction where we have universal school choice, recognizing that there are limited resources. I think it's important to target those uh, families who have the fewest choices. And so scholarship tax credit programs are a way of allowing family, empowering uh, low-income families to best meet the individual needs of their children.
0: Jason Bedrick is a visiting policy analyst at the Cato Institute. You can read more of his work at Cato.org.